Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, oh, sorry. I'm Gerardo Polly. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is the Vet Vault. Our guest for today's episode is a veterinary virtuoso, so much so it's so hard to pick one single job title for him, Dr. Adam Christman. He is a practicing small veterinarian in the same practice where he started his veterinary career as a 14-year-old kennel hand, as well as a veterinarian at a local animal shelter, but his veterinary journey has taken him on so many interesting paths, including completing a MBA, so it's a master's in business administration, public speaking, a career media, social media influencer, published author, and Disney aficionado, and most recently to his new role as the veterinary director of DVM 360 and the Fetch conferences. We start our conversation with Adam with an important topic that's very close to my heart, Dushins. But don't worry, the episode does not peak there as you might expect. We also cover a wide range of other topics, like Adam's secrets for when you're feeling stuck in your career, how to make sure you have a smooth relationship with one of the most precious resources in your practice, your nurses. We talk personality types, the brand that is you, maintaining energy levels, and much, much more. And did I mention the Dashwins? Please enjoy one of the most fun episodes we've done so far, Dr. Adam Christman. Dr. Adam Crispin, welcome to the Vetfeld Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It was so great to connect with you and see all the stuff that you're up to. Yeah, it's been quite a, quite a rodeo the past few months, that's for sure, with, with uh, COVID going on and new careers and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to start with, with something. I, I, I can see you're at home. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to say, if I showed you my sausage, will you show me yours? Yes! <laughs> He's oh a sausage God. I prepared earlier. <laughs> oh my God! You can't. I didn't even know. I had no idea that you had a dachshund. Thank God I'm sitting down. I was I was stalking you, and I, I saw we had one thing in common: is a love of love of deformed uh, long dogs. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm a doxaholic. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> the dashies are in my second, like up. Okay, so it goes chihuahuas, cattle dogs, dashies for biting for me. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. They think they're great Danes or Doberman pinchers, big personalities too. Yeah, they're oh. cute dogs, especially the they're dapples right. with long hair. They're like so fluffy and soft. Yes, I have two wire hairs. I got to bring them up Yay. and show you, but they're so cute. Oh, I remember when I was on my neurology rotation in vet school and I just got so drawn to them on how um, how strong their will was to like walk at, if they were down and paralyzed and just how sweet they were. So I remember saying like, one day our paths are going to cross, our paths are going to cross and lo and behold, <laughs> not one, not two, but four, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you started with one, one who was handed over, who was, the owner couldn't afford treatment or something. Yes. So he was a down dog, uh, uh, Cosmo, long hair dachshund, just like yours. And um, he was two and the owners couldn't afford a surgery because as you know, like, you know, IVDD is an expensive surgery to take care of MRI. So um, they couldn't afford it. So 
I ended up going and getting the surgery done for him, but it was too little too late because he had deep pain, loss mm-hmm. of deep pain at the time. So, um, but no, I ended up getting a wheelchair for him. And, you know, he lived another 12 years, 12 years. I had him uh, wow. expressed his bladder. I wrote a book called Honey, Have You Squeezed the Dachshund? That's yeah. on Amazon. The, I get oh. the squeeze, but I didn't quite. I thought you meant just like a cattle squeeze, but now. I know. No, it's Jesus. this squeeze. So like squeezing it's... the bladder like the football player hold versus toilet holds. <laughs> wow. I, t- I saw the, the book. So, so is that. Bestseller? Yeah, it's a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> do, do you get um, any sort of judgment ever for having a, 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 a purebred sort of a dog and then especially one that has a, a genetic predisposition to, to problems uh, as, as yeah. a vet? As a vet, do you ever find, I, mean, I certainly when we got this one, I had a few of my colleagues and people go, you can't get vaccinated, his back's going to go, you should know better as a vet. Did you, did you get any of that? Right. You know, I love that you asked me that because, yeah, I get asked that multiple times. And one is like, uh, yeah, do you know what you're signed up for, basically, when you have the long back drugs? And I said, yeah, I, my wallet and credit card's prepared. You know? so, yeah, yeah. But, and then when you ask, ask about the purebred dogs, like, you know, why, why, it, why can't veterinarians get nice purebred dogs, too? I mean, we understand the breed standards. We, I research them heavily. Like, I really know dachshunds. And so I go... To the creme de la creme. Mine flew one. The one dachshund flew in from Belgium. The other one flew in from Canada. So like I, I got like you know I did my research. <laughs> the other two I work at the animal shelter. So the smooth ones, the ones that had back issues, are the <laughs> ones that came from the shelter. <laughs> but regardless, it is what it is. You just never know. It's a crapshoot of whether you know their backs are going to go. And listen, my house is full of ramps everywhere, yeah. and I do everything you can, but. Yeah, you just don't know. <laughs> There's ramps everywhere. That's hilarious. I got to show you. I, I'll show you when we're done. You're going to crack up. It's the funniest thing when they go outside in the backyard. It's like go down. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say, is there is there a particular ramp that uh, you uh, endorse? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so I endorse a homemade one. I, yeah, I, I just got, I built it. So, and it's built right into my stairs. So I was going to design a pulley because I have two, a two story house. So like they could walk out and want hit their paw and a lever goes up. <laughs> 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 oh, that, 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 there's a product there. If you can engineer that in some kind of like, you know, safe way, you know, yes. I'm yeah. telling you. I know it could be onto something. They just hit their paw and they just walk out. Do, do, do. I, I can see that we. I can see that we might end up going down a rabbit hole here, just having a whole podcast about that. It's a bit like if a vet ever confesses to having a, a bulldog or a French bulldog or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they, yeah. They right. Do Do you feel like do we have a a responsibility or a role to play there, or a, as veterinarians, do you, is it our business should be should be interfering? Yeah, I, I think it's good that I think it's nice that veterinarians know breed predispositions. You know. Um, I, I always say this, my clients don't look me up on where I went to vet school in my bio. The first thing they look at is the picture of me with my dachshunds. Mm. And they're like, boom, I'm going to this guy, you know, mm. and it becomes this cult that like, yes, the basset hounds come to me, the corgis come to me because they, I understand and get like the low riding dogs and back dogs and so forth. I work with a veterinarian that has an English bulldog and she is inundated with French bulldogs and English bulldogs. So, I mean, life is all about like, it's like networking, you know, like networking and relationship building. And if you get the breed, I would want to go to a veterinarian that really understands the, the dachshund breed, you know, or 
Um, I do a lot of shelter medicine work, so I deal with a lot of rescues too. So I get that clientele that comes to me. So I think it is our responsibility to know all the breeds, but like, you know, have a little bit of like a specialty in that area, you know? Mm. Yeah, like a special interest you understand. It's, it's, it's a common ground, right? Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm not that familiar with Great Danes and um, Doberman Pinchers, but one of my colleagues has a Doberman Pinscher and is very familiar with the wobbler's condition that they can get in their cervical region. So it's just nice that I can just bounce something off of a friend, be like, hey, I know you have them more. What do you think should we do? Should we go for surgery and do a ventral slot or should we go for the beads and gold bead implants? So there's like, it's just nice to have these veterinarians around that just kind of get the breed a little bit better, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I use that like, and totally. I like, so one of the key things I use in, in consultations is is my affiliation and, and love of working breeds. So like, especially the pointy ones like uh, Kelpies and Border Collies, it's common ground. It's like, oh, I've, I've had two of these guys all the way through to all 13. And all of us, like, that's, that's a level of connection Right. I always try to find some kind of common ground with the client in the consult room and, and it help it build trust and cred. Yes. Um, and not in, a, not in an inauthentic way. I'm never going to say that, hey, look, I have a great Dane and I know exactly what you're talking about. That's lying. But if you have common ground in there, then I think it's worthwhile leveraging. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And by the way, Australian cattle dogs are so popular here in the States. <laughs> They're, they're really nippy bastards. Oh, Holy shit. <laughs> they just love hurting their owners to bed every night. You know? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Are they, are, they, are they bitey and snappy there as well? I, I don't. Well, what they're known to be is the gifted and talented of the dog breeds, believe it or not. Like, <laughs> they know, like, their commands so quickly. Meanwhile, Dachshund's like, what? You wanted me to sit? Nah. That ain't happening. But an Australian guy was like, okay, sit, stay down. What's next? What do you want me to do? Where are we going? Who do you need? What do you, where do I need to be? You know? <laughs> yeah. Cattle dogs, uh, I don't know. Like they're, they're, one of, they're one of the ones where they're, they're so good. Like I learned so much from, from watching cattle dogs because they're like ninjas. They're like ninja biters. They're just like, they don't move and then bam, they'll get you. And you're like, holy shit. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Right, right. right. Yeah, right. And, 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 and it's the eye. I think I was it's, about to say, it's the sideways glance. It's the sideways yeah, eye. So it's like funny. whenever a cattle is looking sideways, I'm like, okay, yeah. I know what's coming. You're just waiting. It's on. <laughs> yeah. But right. Adam, like, I've been following you on Instagram for a while and also like on YouTube as well. But like you're involved in so much. You got like a, you got, you got like what, close to 40,000 followers on Instagram and there's like almost 9,000 followers on YouTube and then you're involved in like fetch. DPM, like, like, what, what, what is, what is, what is your role in? What, you know, what do you see yourself uh, as? Yeah, I, as I like to always say, like, the, the, what's amazing about the veterinary career is how well we all evolve and just trying our new passions as we develop into this incredible career. And I'm more of I've turned into a, a social media personality, essentially, you know, and I, I love it in different platforms for both pet parents and for colleagues and the community, the veterinary community. And it just it literally evolved into that. You know, I, I started taking videos of dogs that needed homes when I was doing some shelter medicine and it turned into can you give us some instructional videos on how to clean your dog's ears and how to trim their dog's nails, how to brush my dog's teeth? And that turned into the radio station stuff, which turned into like me doing some national speaking on the veterinary. So it just kind of like unraveled. And then I love all these different platforms where um, 
I, I do like the educational video. I feel like you just get a better connection through a, a video than you can through a written instructions. And I found that when I was practicing too, that um, you know, if people are not as good in terms of hearing things in the exam room or even seeing things. So what I would do is just follow up with a quick little video that I would send to the owners too. Let me just show you, this is how you're gonna pill your dog. You, we, we under, we underassume what we what these pet parents can do, right? Mm. I, I'll put the put the eardrops in. Well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? You know? so, and then I will do a video. Let me show you. This is the dog's ear canal. You know, it's going to be so. All these videos just turned into this content that I just started to create and follow. And now, with these veterinary students that you guys know, like on Instagram, that our gener our next generations of veterinarians are incredible that are coming through. Our profession is going to be even ten times better than where it's at. But um, so I connect with all different platforms. So, so it wasn't a, a master plan. You didn't have this vision for yourself that oh, that's what I want to end up. It, it was a more of an organic thing by the sounds of it. Yeah, it was very organic. It was people telling me that I'm not surrounded by yes people. I'm surrounded by some people like, no, you don't have this or don't do this, you know, or whatever. But it, it ended up being where people were saying, you really should have your own show. Like you have, you know, a good relatability and because of my platform my personality tends to be a little bit bigger than that in the exam room so I think that having these kinds of platforms allows me to be happy and passionate at the same time mm. so it's, it's one, one of the main drivers um, in terms of like human drives and what makes us happy is actually the drive for creativity and then the drive for self-expression if you have the ability to have a project which where you can just like have creative expression and creative control, it, it, it almost just like that's that's what becomes your passion somewhat. Passion yeah. comes and waxes and wanes, right? But if yeah. you're able to find that thing where you're able to have creative control, right? Like Hubert thinks that he has creative control over the podcast, but, <laughs> you know, but I totally understand what, you know, like where this all goes. So I'm kind of slowly just, you know, notching him in, in, into the direction that I want him to head in. <laughs> I have to make it feel like he's has creative control, right? But I, mean, I you know, they're playing Hubert. But like, is 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 it this creative control that that's kind of coming out that you're like, yeah, I love this. This is awesome. Absolutely, and having the ability of assuming this newer position, working in veterinary multimedia, and they literally are just saying, "Go for it. We know what you're capable of doing. We're just going to support you along the way." And I said, like, I want to have, I think we should have a talk show. I really want to bridge the veterinary students onto the DVM 360 platform. Um, I want to have more virtual webinars. They're like, go for it. We're going to support you because we know you have what your creativity is there. This is what we got hired for, to be a change agent and to embrace your, um, your creativity. And, and that's what I love about it because sometimes I love private practice. But sometimes I felt like I was almost in that box of a room. <laughs> I felt a little boxed in in terms of my headspace. So, and you guys can appreciate, you know what I mean? Like there's that moment every now and then you just feel like, you know, how many more times can I talk about like anal gland expressions and uh, Cushing's disease and diabetes? And there's, there is so important. Don't get me wrong. But for some of us that are creative and want to explore different avenues, I felt like this was probably the next chapter that was needed in my career. Yeah, that, that really resonates with what, what you said as well, Gerardo. Um, I think probably the majority of vets, again, you because you have to do well academically to get into vet school, uh, generally speaking, academic people also have other interests in high school. And 
So I think most of us have a creative streak as well. Majority of vets would have done some sort of art or music or, and then you hit vet school, boom, and it's just study, 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 and that's out the window. And then you hit your first job and it's just work, 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 sleep, work, sleep. And, and a part of you almost dies for a couple of years there. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, creative expression also involves self-mastery, right? So universities around mastery, right? And then your core focus for two to three years is mastery of general practice, mastery of this. Two years, three years in general practice, you've mastered 90% of, 95% of the things. Mm-hmm. And it, unless you create some other kind of avenue, some kind of side hustle, some kind of like, I don't know, next level, whatever it may be, right? You get disillusioned because what, like, where is there? Yes. Two or three years. Yes. That's exactly what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not to say like, it, there's a difference between that and versus feeling burnt out. And it's, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think it's like a burnout feeling. It's more of like, yeah, like I think you're going to vet school and you're studying your ass off. You're working so hard to learn the science and medicine. You go into practice, you know, your limitations, you know, like maybe I can't do a total hip replacement. I know somebody who can, yes. you know, right? So like, you know, those conversations, you master the art of the conversation, in the exam room, you know, you mm-hmm. set expectations for yourself. But then there's a part of you that feels like, am I becoming a Stepford veterinarian? Like, I feel like a robotic performance that I'm providing. And so, you know, yeah, you want to be a little bit more creative, like you guys do in a podcast like this. This is amazing where you can express your personality and your yourselves a little bit beyond the exam room. Hubert puppet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to edit all sorts of shit into the next episode. With you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just no. Just, I'm, I'm just, just, just for payback. I'm just teasing. I love that we're talking about this, though, because it's something there, there that um, not many really do talk about because everyone's focused on, you know, veterinary school and practicing, whether it be large or small animal um, surgery. But I hear this from veterinarians, my veterinarians, they, I, they, I hear this, I, I'm stuck. I feel like I have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I think I'm supposed to own a practice, I guess. Is this my next step? You know? Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. That, that's it's your not. formula. It's all the formula. It's the only formula you hear. Mm-hmm. Yes. Be a vet, be a good vet, be a GP vet, specialize as a vet, or mm-hmm. buy a practice as a vet. There's like only two pathways, right? Yes. Industry, like unfortunately, like, I don't know what it's like in the, U- in the U.S., but if you go into industry, all of a sudden you've failed as a vet, mm-hmm. you know, and that is so not true, completely not true, right? Yeah. And, and there's, there's so much knowledge that we have. You just got to think outside the box. Yes, mm. absolutely. There, there's so many opportunities out there. See what I did there? <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> my, it's my New York accent, my opportunities. <laughs> so we were going down this pathway of your multiple roles and you're a Swiss army knife. Uh, and, but okay, Fetch, give us a rundown on Fetch. You are the chief veterinary officer. What, yes. is, what does that mean? I don't know. It sounded important. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this sounds good. I guess talk about like changing things up. But, <laughs> so this is a multimedia company. So I, have you guys heard of DVM 360? Have you heard of them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I oversee all their content, both in print as well as online. And then 
Um, we have webinars too. So I invite you guys, you guys, we guys got to do something. We have to do something. Um, do and dance. It's really good. Yeah. Something. I don't even care. I really <laughs> don't even care. Like we can do a magic mic performance. I don't care. Um, but and then have you heard of the fetch conferences? I don't know if they're not in, mm. I don't know, probably, but like, so there's fetch conferences around the country in the United States. Yeah. So we, uh, we over, there's five, we're putting in a new one that's going to be, well, you know, willing with COVID, but in Indianapolis. So, but yeah, Indianapolis, um, Kansas City, Baltimore, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and then um, San Diego, California. So, oh, and as as part of your role organizing that, or do you oversee yes. the, con the content, or what? What's your what's your job? Uh, let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You want to talk about organizing your brain differently? Like us veterinarians, we're used to just like going into an exam room, assessing a problem, here are the antibiotics, and then the nurses can do the rest. But me, like, this is like my life now. So these are the conferences. So these are people that have like canceled because of COVID and they can't do certain times. And so like, I have to shimmy them around different schedules and everything. So, and then you need to have like race approval. So all your continuing education, you have to have X amount of credits. So like you need endocrinology and you need internal medicine and then you need to have the technicians and the practice managers to have their credits. So it's all, but it's cool. It is like tr problem solving and plug and play to see where everybody needs to go. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see, you get to see the best and the worst of veterinarians because they're like, no, it's too early for me. Uh, are you still clin practicing clinical practice as well, Adam? I am, yes. On the weekends, I'll practice and fill in at the practice that uh, I was at. Um, I was there since I was 14 at that practice. And then I also do shelter medicine work. I know, right? Like, 14. Little, Hang on. Um, Backtrack. You were there since you were 14 doing what? Little 14, I was cleaning out the kennels when I was. Uh, so my practice was right across the street from my high school. And so after school, look how driven I was back then. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait. And you're not driven now. You just take it. I know. Have you ever done a personality test? I take that you'd be. I have. <laughs> yes. I know my letters. Do you know your letters? Oh, no, no, no. Share. Oh, you should do the Myers-Briggs personality test. To I've see. never done that one. It's so complicated. I'm just. It is complicated. I'm, just I'm sure you guys person. are extroverted, right? I think you're extroverted. Would you think you're extroverted? Um, Hubert is a, just a total lovable, want to please everyone kind of dude. Yeah, but I'm not an extrovert. Yeah, you're more introvert. They say like 79% of veterinarians are introverted. Like it's yeah. very high. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can put it on. And, and I think veterinary science has been really good for that. Clinical veterinary science uh, is practicing the art of, of being, of acting like an extrovert or speaking to people and making connections that I just, you just have to learn to do it because um, you have no choice. But no, I think I think lots of people will feel like me. It wasn't. It was very hard work for me. Consulting is, is still very hard work for me. I, mm. I can do it really well, but at the end of the day, I am spent emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's the same for me. Like I am a, a like a driver, and my, like I, if I could do something in seven words, I'll do it in seven words rather than seventy words. And but then I like I realized, you know what? I realized that I couldn't be the person I really naturally am because it would never work because I worked in libraries as a librarian. Like I learned a skill there and that was just connecting with people. And it took me out of my kind of like, tell me what you want right now to like, tell me, tell me and I'm engaged and listen. And it's helped me in consults ever since wow. to, 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 to actually bring something on that is not innate my natural personality. 
Mm -hmm. And and that's a skill that's not easy to acquire to do like active listening and to engage and listen to what their wants and needs are. So yeah, kudos to you guys because that's that's not easy. You actually won an award called the what the Excellence in Bedside Manner Award. So so this is does this come naturally to you? I think because I was a technician for many years and um, before I went to vet school and while I was going in school. I think, you know, you guys know how it is. Like, I, I think great veterinarians are great technicians too. And so I think uh, I, I've always had that compassion. I always was. I'm very, very emotional with animals too. And I connect with pet owners. You know, when they're going and grieving, I feel it. I will tear up. I get there. I understand. I have this incredible, I guess it's a blessing and a curse of empathy and sympathy because this is where you can wear out at the end of the day when you're doing a 13 hour day and you're having these highs and lows because I feel like I really feel what they're going through. And so it's hard just to turn that off and see that new puppy exam. But, um, but yeah, just the power of empathy and understanding is, was always something that I was always taught just to be kind to one another and be respectful. And, um, I think that's what makes you a successful veterinarian. It's not like how much, you know, it's just the ability to connect and understand and listen. Dude, love it. My pipe in, I've shared this story numerous times. It's So w when I started emergency, all I wanted to do was just be a good emergency clinician. So then when I, when I then um, uh, became a partner, I was like, I just want to make the best emergency clinicians ever. What do I need to do? I need to teach them the shit that they need to know to be awesome emergency clinicians. So we focused purely on just like clinical skills, clinical skills. And then, yeah, to be honest, I saw vet after vet pass our accelerated emergency program and then come out the other end and just like still not just quite hit it and it's like what is the difference you know it's it's not experience we have vets who have been out one year that are much better able to connect much able to you know advocate for the pet than a vet who graduated with me right and you know what it is it's it's not clinical knowledge and some people strive for that, thinking that clinical knowledge will make them stronger, better, more confident. Mm. It, there, there's a growth. There's a growth of clinical knowledge with like ability to connect and and performance skills that now it's clear for me. I don't I don't care if anyone thinks that I'm wrong. I'm 100% certain in, in what I think. And that clinical knowledge will only get you so far. You have to invest in your own personal development. You have to invest Absolutely. in your own. Yeah. Amen to that. It's, it's so true. Um, you know, I, I say that all the time. You train the brain, but like you hire the personality because you can work on the skill set all that time. But it's just if they have that personality or we have people that get interviewed like, oh, I hate people. Like, I don't want to. I love animals. I hate them. I was like, well, this isn't for you. <laughs> that would be that would be like it's awesome. I, I'd, I'd love to run a fetch a fetch uh, DVM webinar. It's like there are 10 things not to say in an interview. I'll tell you right now. Let's do it. That's what we should do. I'm telling you, because that's what people want to know more. I mean, listen, we can Google and look up how the glomerulus and the nephron friggin' work. Like that shit. Okay, fine. But it's this stuff. This cover. This is what people really want to learn and know and develop because mm. it's everybody wants to feel like they're a very a, a VIP, a very important important pet parent or uh, you know patient. Mm. Totally, totally, and and I I am almost to be honest going to the like I've, I've almost been sold on the, the the performance skills are somewhat almost more important than clinical skills 
Okay. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that is a controversial kind of thing, but I've seen it time and time again, over dozens and dozens of vets that ability to connect, ability to relate, ability to manage your own time, ability to self care. That is going to take you so much further and longer and further than your clinical know-how. You can read a textbook, you can call someone up for advice, but if you can connect with the client and then communicate in a way that they trust and engage with you, that you're going to be so much better than someone who's like, you know what? I know what I know because I'm a doctor. And right. So you spent years working as a, as a tech. So that's equivalent to our, our nurse position. Yeah. Um, could you, did you learn special skills there how to relate to your to your techs or work with them and get the most out of them i remember one of our very first episodes our guest actually said when we asked her what's the one thing that she would tell other vets her, her one thing was be nice to your nurses uh have you have you got uh, any, any tips or tricks or, or advice for young vets as to how to how to relate to your to your techs or your nurses better yeah the best thing is to listen to them and utilize them to their greatest potential because you both will succeed in and out of the exam room. And I've seen this over and over again where I've had new graduates that have not utilized their technicians and therefore the technicians that felt that they were not valued, not important, not part of the treatment plan or the process. And so they would screw you and blackball you <laughs> because they're like, you're not gonna let me set catheters or like go over your discharge instructions, screw you because I'll work with the other doctor who will allow me to do that. So um, I've learned more. I say this to all my new graduates. I have learned more. When I came out of vet school, I learned more from my vet techs than I did from vet school <laughs> because, right, they show you the practicality of, like, this is how you do, like, your blood gases. Let me show Because you're afraid to ask maybe in vet school. And I'm like, wait, is yeah, it the red top yeah. or purple top tube that I use? I still you know? ask that question. It's like... <laughs> And it's like, okay, what is the difference right. between purple and green and whatever? Right. Like, how do I do anaerobic transfer? Like, what? How do I take it out into a plain white top tube? Like, what's a citrate blue tube? I, I'm always embarrassed to admit this. If I get a new vet and they ask me about using any equipment in the hospital, and I mean, pretty much pretty much anything other than the ultrasound machine, oh. I'm like, I don't know. Just ask one of the nurses, mate. I, I, it's, it's my business, but I can't tell you anything works. <laughs> I, I have to say, they ask me, how do you, how do you uh, troubleshoot this machine? I'm like, hmm. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. You know what? I, you know what? The value that I have, the value is I will connect you to the right person. <laughs> That's right. That's what I say. I, I'm your Oprah Winfrey for networking. <laughs> there's, a, there's a tricky dynamic that I often see. I think it's more with, with female vets, young female vets, and they come into a practice and they have to work with nurses who've been there 10 years and who know their stuff. And they can often be a little bit of headbutting and a little bit of trying to establish them. I, I often get the impression that the vets are trying to establish themselves as, as an authority, which they are. They, they do need to become the team leader. But then they butt heads with the senior nurse who's like, no, you're going to have to prove yourself to me. Uh, do you, have you, you say no? You've never seen that? No, no, I've seen that, but I think that's totally okay. I'm you're asking Adam the question, and I will shut up. No, I, I think it's absolutely spot on with what you're talking about because uh, 
it, it's it could be a mean girls club. It could be mean girls. These practices too. They, these veterinarians, uh, like you said, they come out. They try to flaunt their feathers and show off. Like, okay, I'm the doctor. I know what I'm doing. But if they can turn on a dental machine or turn on an extra machine, and you have a girl that's been a licensed technician for 20 years, she's gonna be putting that girl right in her place and and be like, you know what? You don't know what the hell you're doing. And so I don't care how many initials you have after your last name or credentials. Like if you can't turn on a friggin' extra machine, I have no respect for you. So um, yeah, there's like a little bit of, of that powwow or power trip. I think that's that's present. I do find it, this not to be sexist, I do find it harder for the women than the men to um, to prove their worth for some reason, for whatever reason it is. It's, it's the act of deference. The act of deference, you know, like, like, what do you have to prove? Mm. You know, like, how about you defer to what they have to say? Hey, how do you think I should manage this? Oh, I think you should manage this way. That's really cool. Actually, I'll try that. Yeah. 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 There's no, there's no, how would you say lack of value? There's only value in asking someone what they think first, because then you might learn something, (laughs) right? to improve yourself. It's like, oh, actually, that's a really good idea. But I was, you know, actually, what, what I might try is this and see how this goes. You can always change. You can mm-hmm. always change your way. But like if you, if you are a new grad going into a practice, then don't go in there with your like, hey, this is my textbook. This is my professor said, and this is how the best thing is. You know, it's like, hey, I'm like, what do you think? I Like, this is my situation. This is what I'm thinking based on this. But what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, like, Deference. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a primary rule of, of, of just building trust and rapport. Yeah, even if you, even if you do know the answer, still ask. Because it, yeah. uh, it shows them that you respect right. their, their opinion. And there's, there's a fear of change that happens in a, in a veterinary hospital with the support staff when they have a new doctor that comes on that would say like, well, this is how I like to do whatever. My euthanasia, let's just say, I have a protocol that I like. And mm. they will say, well, no, that's not how we do it here. And that's not okay. That's not okay to say something like that. It's collaboration to understand. You might want to try it this way. You know, we find that it works this way versus your right. But yeah, I'll be more than happy to try it that way. You just have to have that ability to adapt with change that happens. And, you know, um, that, I see that happen because I've gone into multiple practices like you guys, and I see the, how the cultures are different. <laughs> and um, some of the cultures that are toxic are the mm-hmm. ones that fail to adapt mm-hmm. to change. Or don't respect the knowledge and the experience that the rest of the team has and what they can bring to the team. And like, it was one of the, the, the biggest things was my biggest burdens was being or having to know everything and, and having to be the pinnacle of the knowledge within the practice, being the director or being the person who created the clinical training programs and them feeling threatened by someone coming and saying, actually, you know, they, they've changed that now. They don't do that anymore. And it's like, whoa, you're, 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 you know, like you, what do you, who are you to say that to me? Right? right. And then like, I realized that there was such a burden and I was so closed off that it was like, this, this doesn't help anyone. doesn't help me. doesn't help them. Why wouldn't we all want to just improve and collaborate? And when I let that go, it was just the biggest freedom that I've ever experienced. Yeah. And allowing people to contribute to you was just bush. I don't know. I love this. The, what we were talking about this earlier too, about you know the new graduates mentality. You know what, what are some of the things that 
I was on Instagram Live with a vet student and she said to me, you know, what's some things that you would give me advice on when I come out of vet school? And I said, don't be afraid that you're not going to know everything. You're not going to know everything. So, and that's cool. That's awesome. You mean, and no one knows everything. I still don't know everything. It's something called continuing education, but being able to utilize your team and learn from them is most important. So stay humble, stay true to yourself and, uh, you know, build your brand. You can build your brand within the practice, but, um, but you're not going to know everything. So. Oh, I love this. Okay. Hubert, Hubert was going to talk about your childhood and your childhood memories, mate. But I was oh, like, Oh no. Like yeah. Session. And, and why you're drinking right now, like, um, Gaviscon, um, uh, Okay, so protein powder is that part of yeah. your, your muscly secret, right? Okay, two, <laughs> two, two, two grams per kilo per day. Um, but, but no, you're talking about brand, like, and okay, okay, this is something that really clicked with with me. If you are, I believe that if you are in a in, in a primary practice, you have to consider yourself more than just a veterinarian. You should consider yourself as a business or you should consider yourself as a, I don't know, professional service or as you said it as a brand, right? Mm -hmm. Once you view yourself that way, it shifts. How can I make my brand better? What do I need to do to level up to provide a better service? How can I then, you know, like make my customers and my clients feel like as if when they experience my brand, the brand is better. And, and they, they have an exceptional nine out of 10 experience. Like rather than being threatened by feedback, by negative complaints or whatever it may be, it's almost like, hey, if, if, if I wanted to make my brand the best, I would embrace feedback. Yeah, that is impressive. I tell everybody too, like uh, some practices they, that work for a corporation, a, consol a consolidated firm, they feel like they can't, build their brand. I said, yes, you can. You can build your own individual brand within a practice too. People come, people come to me because I, I'm the dachshund guy, you know, and that's, that's my thing. I do these social media videos of how to like trim your dog's nails and people love that stuff. There's another veterinarian and she does stuff on ultrasounds and they love to see what she's doing with that whole content. So <clears throat> yeah, it's just about like, uh, you know, the brand, just building your brand and understanding each other. I love, I love what you're saying. Yeah. Like it, people come to people, right? Right. People come to people they trust. They don't come to a brand. I, I don't, I don't know. They don't come to a, whatever kind of like blue pearl brand, you know, right. you know, like they will come to the person they trust and know. So that people need to, appreciate that they're more than just like a person and they're more than just a vet they are like they are a professional they are a professional i don't know how else to say it it's, it's you, you got to consider yourself a brand and what, what what kind of brand do you want to display what do you stand for and and so forth how do you want to interact what do you want your clients want to feel after right. they've had an experience with you like know what these things are because then that will change the way that you will interact and the way that you communicate and and what you you know, how, and how you react. So, yeah. yeah. And you, are you still involved with the, the shelter medicine that you do? Is that, is that yes. the stuff you do on, on, on weekends if you say you're yeah. working? Yeah. Is yes. it yeah. a, a lo local dog shelter or what, what's the scenario? What's the setup where you work? So it's local. It's called Animal Welfare Association. And um, it's a high volume spay neuter uh, clinic slash vaccine clinic and uh, slash wellness. 
And it's interesting because it, it annoys me and I love it. I love it in the sense that, you know, you're doing like good, you know, shelter medicine work. But then you get these pet owners. I don't know if you have these that by you, but they, there's vaccine clinics. So mm-hmm. like low cost vaccine clinics. So they come in. This is before COVID. So like it would just be like a cattle of people. Like we would do like 150, 200 animals, you know, in a, in a day of just like vaccinarian, just poking, 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 you know. But people would complain about the wait time. And I actually spoke up and said something, right? Now, mind you, they're like 20 bucks for a vaccine or something. Yeah. But they're complaining that they're waiting. I said, the amount of time that you just waited for your designer breed dog that you just got, you could have had a nice $70, $50, whatever it is, consultation with your veterinarian to be educated about vaccine, mm-hmm. preventive medicine, flea and tick, heartworm prevent, all that stuff because you're trying to bypass the office visit because you don't think there's value associated to that, but yet you're gonna come and spend your hour on a weekend to get a $20 or low cost rabies vaccine and call it a day. Like that's not okay with me is what I keep saying. What, because, was, what was the feedback? What did, you, what did they say when you told them that? Right, she's, they, they feel that they, they know enough medicine because they look online and they know what their dog needs. So then they'll come in with that, you know, certificate or the sheet three years overdue on a december vaccine never finished up finished up a series on a leptospirosis vaccine and they think that that's okay and it's not and so like i said to myself why am i I, not to waste my time because i got to keep it going but i said these are just multiple examples so i really they really do understand i by educating them some of them left and just went to their own veterinarian to make the appointment i mean some of them will come in with horrific skin infections ear infections and you know they're here just for the rabies vaccine, or did you get the nails trimmed? But you know, there's there's some underlying problems that are really serious that need to be addressed to their veterinarian. So I, I just felt like as a veterinarian, it was my due diligence to let them know you need to be educated by properly, and not from Doctor Google, from mm. a veterinarian about this information. Um, so if you say shelter medicine, define shelter medicine. So are these, so these are not street dogs and rescue dogs. They they actually own by people so who, who qualifies to come and get these cheap vaccinations you can have people that drive up in a porsche that come in and i'm not kidding like they literally will come up in a rolls royce or a porsche and and do that there's no clear definition that defines like who comes in for this low cost um, vaccine clinic so there's that component but in terms of the shelter yeah we get animals that are from all over the country that get shipped all over uh, they work with the um, aspca so, um, you know, the, you know, dogs and cats and rabbits and all the different stuff. So we do, you know, medicine and treatment options and all that stuff, which is fine. But then there's that part. And then we also open up the low cost spay and neuter clinic to the public. That's a bit strange. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, if people can't afford, you know, their, their spay and neuter from a, another veterinary hospital, they'll come over here for like, you know, low cost to do it. Um, but you know, there's some trade-offs with it, you know, like there's no preoperative blood work that's done. There is no, you know, we, I don't, I don't have another, um, nurse that's on the dog 24 seven that's watching them for recovery. Mm-hmm. It's just an assembly line, go, go, mm-hmm. go kind of a thing. So would it be better uh, to have the same price, but then help them pay it off as opposed to having it cheap? Absolutely. Well, who, who runs it? Is it, a, is it run by private companies or is it like a government run thing? Or? It's government run. It's government run, you know, but it's not very happy. It's not, it, it pisses off some of the veterinarians oh, around yeah. that I can community. Imagine. 
right? I mean, it would totally piss them off. It pisses me off that I even do it sometimes, but I do it because I do, I do a walkthrough with the animals of like, you know, the animals that are in the shelter, those that need care, vomiting, diarrhea, you know, skin cases and stuff. So you deal with that and then you deal with that component with the public. So uh, yeah, it, unfortunately it's part of their money maker too. They make money that way to keep the, the, the shelter sustained, okay. but it's a different model. You know, and I talk about this in one of our conferences, like, you know, you charge, you know, um, maybe two to three hundred dollars or whatever it is cheaper than my space. What's your model that's different? And how do you, you know, educate the pet owners that yet at the same outcome is going to be a spay, but one's much higher than the other, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Now, now, now I'm confused. <laughs> like, okay. We can, we can edit this out later, Hubert. I just don't get it. Okay. What does what, what is shelter medicine? My thought was that shelter medicine is like what we have in Australia, which is the RSPCA, like Royal Society for the Protection and Care right. of Animals, which is like, okay, you, you can't take care of your pet. You drop it off to us, but you don't get the pet back. We will take care of the pet, right? Or we have some subsidized, not, not subsidized, okay, but they are some welfare um, organization vet clinics which are, are, are subsidized by private funding and fundraisers mm. and they offer um, reduced maybe not even reduced costs but like actually they offer more lenient payment systems what what does shelter medicine mean it is similar to that by the way so there are shelters that are just shelter medicine only so you know i'm giving up my dog you guys take care of it or we found a stray dog, you guys take care of it kind of a thing. Absolutely, so we have that, cats, they're ridden all over the country, we have all of those. So, and there's veterinarians that, that do oversee that and will do the spaying and neutering and the medicine component too. So, you know, they get hired to do it. It does have a very high turnover rate, unfortunately, for veterinarians because they get burned out from just constantly spaying and neutering nonstop, like it's, yeah. it's a lot. So yeah, there's that. But then there are other models, business models in this country that have the shelters that are working with the communities to help those pet owners that have financial constraints to do some of the preventative medicine components. So such as vaccinations, heartworm testing, and then spaying or the elective procedures, so spaying and neutering. So if they can't, there is a, if they can't afford it from their veterinarian, the primary veterinarian, they can go to the shelter veterinarian to have it done. And so there's a waiting list for that too, because you know here we have the shelter veterinarians that are taking care of all their internal animals, but then there's also a few that need to get spayed and neutered you know, for pet-owned uh, animals. Okay. So, so, so you, you said there a second ago that it's, there's a high turnover of, of staff, of veterinary staff, because of the, the pressure that's it can be a really emotional and a, and a really tough job. What, why do you do it? What, um, I don't want to say what's in it for you. Um, yeah. what, what motivates you to do it? it? It's not the money, obviously. There's a sense that like you're making a little bit of a dent in society. I guess to me, it's like self-worth. I feel I, like I did something good. You know, like I can put my head on the pillow knowing like, yeah, I vaccinated 200 animals against like rabies today. Like that feels good. And whether it be client owned or shelter animals, or like I did a video of a dog that's hopefully that needs a home today. So I, I do that, all those to make sure that 
it just it's a feel good feeling. I guess from veterinarians, we're veterinarians because we it's mm. a calling from here, mm. not so much from here. You know, so it's more from our heart. Mm. And so when I do those things, it kind of reemphasizes of why I love what I do for a living. You know, and maybe if there's a docs in there, maybe I'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you had ulterior motives. You're looking for those. You're looking for those ducks. <laughs> it's like window shopping. Like, hey, Adam. Before we talked about COVID, and in Australia, we've been pretty successful in actually, um, like, uh, reducing the actual spread. Um, we've had what seven thousand cases, and and quite often our states have zero new cases per year, but. Like the question is always brought up, like how can how can our students access continuing professional development? Like where can they go? What what do you guys what like what is what can fetch offer the students that can't go to universities? They they can't like really go to the practice that they really need to and 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 things like that. Is there things that you guys can offer? Absolutely, and we're we're very adaptable. And again, we're learning as we're growing. These are growing pains in times of COVID because we just don't know when we're going to see you know this getting better. So in the short term, we've developed an incredible you know webinar series um, and an on-demand continuing education platform, which is on DVM three hundred and sixty. Believe it or not, it got launched today, you guys. So uh, <laughs> great timing. Great timing. Great timing. So it, they can get their 10, there's 10 CE credits they can get on right then and there, and they can go at their own convenience, which is nice. So, you know, if they're happy to be working and they're essential, thank you for everything that they're doing, of course, and they want to learn. Um, absolutely go online. We are still plowing ahead with these fetch conferences. It's business as usual. If we're following the CDC guidelines, of course, if there's anything changes, but our next fetch bolt our fetch conference is going to be in Baltimore. And then Kansas City is in August. So, you know, I like to go to these conferences, not only just for the CE, but just like we were talking about earlier, you guys, just mm -hmm. interaction and networking and talking to other people. I think we're going to we're gonna be missing that ability to talk and connect more so than ever. I know we're doing it virtually, but it'd be nice in person. So there's plenty of opportunities that we work on just so that everyone can get their uh, CE on. And we're doing some live events virtually, which is nice. So we get some audience participation. Um, I just did one last Thursday night where we did uh, talking about telemedicine and veterinary medicine, and we had over 600 attendees that were engaging and chatting online and seeing what we had a panel of discussions of veterinarians that were on, and it was great. So, you know, we really try to get everybody engaged and interactive, plus you can get your continuing education on at the same time. How do you how do you host that? Uh, what like on what platform do you host 600 veterinarians who can all chat to you? So it's through. They have to send their chats through an email. So it's like ah. just like kind of like how Zoom is, just like this. Okay. So you, you organize it and you look over to the right. You say like, oh, I could I see that uh, you know Gerardo from Australia has a question. Oh, I'm here. Whoa, hello. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> It's interesting times for, for continuing education, isn't it? And again, like Gerardo mentioned earlier with technology developing and, and innovation, especially in the time yeah. of pressure, I, I love the stuff that's coming out and, and more and more stuff available uh, on, on, online and, and people finding interesting and engaging ways to, to present it. It looks like you guys yeah. are at the, at the fore of that. I do still have a good conference, though, I will say. I, I, like, I like doing my little stuff by myself, but for the reasons that you mentioned, that that 
Well, I I met Gerardo at a conference. I've said to you earlier, uh, where I you learn a lot, but then it's the it's the changed social events life. in between. Changed his life. Right. Know, Tell everyone how much it changed your life, Hubert. You're, you're like the Apoquil that came out. It's life changing. Hubert <laughs> <laughs> changed my life, actually. You guys are good. I got to tell you, like your podcasts are very engaging and interacting. Like I, I, I have it all the time. Look at you guys on my podcast right now. It, 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 it looks like we're holding hands on that thing, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. It's so cute. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> Adam, we, we probably have to start wrapping up, but I do want to ask you, how the hell do you have the energy to do everything you do? It sounds like when you're, mm. when you're practicing, you've got energy. I, I found a quote of yours. I love this one. Uh, being a veterinarian is truly a performance. You have to deliver a great performance to your clients and fellow team members consistently. I love that. But that takes energy. We said earlier at the end of a consulting session, I'm 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 done. But you doing that, and then you've got your channels, and um, yeah. I can see you obviously exercise. That's on your social media. How how do you do it? I know it's all about like work life balance. It's important to me, and I, I you know being self care is not selfish. And um, when it's my time, it's my time, and everyone knows that. And what I like is people respect it. Um, I I've known that. See, I'm obsessed with Disney because I did my master's work on the Disney customer service model. Like, I really am big on, like, how they function, the why behind it. I did all the analytical stuff behind it. Like, I know how they function. And so the reason why I say that is because it is a performance being a veterinarian. Similar to how Disney is, it's like you're on stage. You open up that exam room door and boom, you are on. And so, you know, you can have these highs and lows. No one cares about the euthanasia that you just did beforehand, but that's the cutest Maltese puppy that you ever saw, right? And that does take exhausting energy. It does. It's mentally, your back hurts, you're on your feet all day, all these different positions you're in from uh, holding animals. And so, you know, making sure you find, you stay true to who you are is so important. Stay true. And working out is my jam. They, I have to, I'm a morning person. So, you know, I do one to two hours worth of working out. I stay in the zone. I love TV shows. I love to stay connected. Like I may not know veterinary medicine, but I could tell you who, which celebrity broke up with who because I'm <laughs> obsessed with pop culture. Oh. But listen, I've been through a lot of shit in my life. I lost my mom and dad just several weeks apart from one another. And they were my best friends. I lost them last year. And my whole life changed from losing them. And I don't have any kids. It's just a very, um, it was very scary. And I went to a very dark place. And I wholeheartedly mean that because I recognize when there's moments in my life when I'm like, I'm not in a good headspace and I need to do something about it. I don't have a pity party. I don't go to the drugs or the, any of that stuff. I know that I need to do it. And so I rise above it. And I think just having those abilities of coping great friends and family around that can support you during times of low, low and then can elevate you really gets you through those days. So, and that's my advice to everybody. Cause listen, everyone's got their shit. Everyone has shit. You know, it's just how you rise above that shit is what makes you a better person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. You just opened a whole can of words. We were wrapping up and all of a sudden <laughs> like spread some bloody golden wisdom. Whereas like, Oh, I have like, Three questions out of that. And now I've lost all three questions. We can be, we gotta do a season. It's a season. We're gonna get Adam back for like the 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 the, the stuff he just dumped at the end of the podcast. I know. I'm the same. We're like, whoa, 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 stop, go back, go back. No, 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 no. Let's wrap up. Let's leave it as a cliffhanger. This is a cliffhanger. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to ask you one practical question. Yes. Sorry, Gerard, I always do this, but I need to know this for personal reasons. So you, you're into your exercise. Are you guys allowed to go to the gym? No. No. So what are you doing? If you, if you want to do what, what, give me one or two of your favorite exercises at the moment. Well, look, like right here, I could just hold, when I'm like talking to clients, <laughs> I'm holding my knees up to my chest. Look, hold my knees up. Right there. Look at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can easily, easily do that. Or like I have a, a kettlebell too. So like overhead tricep extensions, but I, I do at home workouts all the time. Okay. So body weight exercises are easy to do, you yeah. know, but. There's something to be said. I'm such a social person, and I, when I go to the gym, it's like I work out with the group training, so not having that really hurts. But, um, again, I make the best of it. So at-home exercises, you know, I use paper plates. Do you ever use paper plates? What do you know? What do you mean? Okay, okay. wait, wait, wait. Do you, do, do you use like 10,000 paper plates? Yeah, right. So put them on your feet and do mountain climbers. So like- Oh, mountain climbers are terrible on sliders. And then go into low plank and put oh. it, have your feet on there and slide back up, do rockers oh, with them. Yes, slide right, Hang on, hang on. So, so sorry, where are the paper plates? Put them on your feet. On, on your feet. feet. You put okay. your feet on the paper plates and then you use them to slide your feet out. Yes. And just ah, gotcha. Next level difficult. And then you can put them on your hands too. And you could be in a high plank. You could do wax ons and wax offs oh. like this. Oh, and then you can slide them out for push ups and back up. Oh, that's some next level shit right there. Okay, let's wrap this up because okay, we, we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap up. Adam, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. That was very entertaining, and we are going to have to do it again. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. there's a lot of wisdom there, and we'll, we'll catch up with you again soon. Have a lovely, lovely day. God, thank you so much for having me on, guys. Shish kebabs, my, my chance fell over.